Hi, this is Exhibiting Kinship, a podcast dedicated to discussing Indigenous interventions in the museum world. My name is Felicia Garcia. I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Miranda Roberts, your other host. And we are super excited to have you with us today. Um, today is the first episode of content that we will are honored to be able to share with all of you. And our guest is someone who I consider my sister, Nina Sanders of Salaga Extraordinaire. She is a senior fellow at the University of Chicago Neubauer Collegium, a curator, writer, film producer, and culture consultant. She has worked for the School for Advanced Research in Santa Fe, New Mexico, the Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Indian, and the Field Museum in Chicago, where she curated the groundbreaking exhibition of Salaga Women and Warriors. Nina has written for the Smithsonian Native American Art Magazine and recently published Upsalaga Women and Warriors, a scholarly publication associated with the Field Museum exhibition. Nina, thank you so much for being our first guest and for being willing to just talk to us about all of the wonderful things we have planned. It is nice to be on your show. Thank you ladies for inviting me. Um, it, this actually doesn't feel like a formal podcast just because I know you two so well and I think I consider you friends and we've shared space and time and sometimes adventures. So um, I think it's a it's a good way to end a Friday. So I'm thankful for your time and I hope that I can make the kind of contributions that you're you're hoping for. And I hope that, you know, I the people who are listening will extract something from ooh, extract. Look, just take it right <laughs> into colonialism. Right? <laughs> I, mean, I hope that the people listening feel like they're receiving bounty of loving and experiential information from this. So yeah. All right. So I am down to talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. I'm here for it. <laughs> and sit here all day like we did yesterday. That should have been a podcast by itself. When we could we have had a two-parter. Yeah. <laughs> and I, for everyone at home, we asked Nina, because we both know her very well, but also because, in my opinion, Nina has had numerous experiences across different institutions and is able to articulate things in a from a psychological point of view to a to a very specific cultural point of view that this this whole like this concept she's able to formulate and articulate them in a way that not many can so i, I wanted and i think felicia wanted to be able just to pick her brain and hear what she has to say so we can just jump right into it if you want yeah, I mean, I was really eager to have Nina on. Um, I mean, yesterday we all met and did a little bit of a pre-discussion I don't know, discussion to kind of flesh out what we'd be talking about today. And it just is so uh, cathartic and like therapeutic to be able to have these important conversations with other Indigenous women. And I you know, have so much respect for the work that Nina does. And um, she's just one of the like kindest, smartest people I know. So um, I'm just really happy to have her as our first guest. 
Thank you for saying I'm kind and smart. Oh my God, I struggle with that all the time. <laughs> you know, I feel it's like so, so many times in the field, we're just like always talking about people's like intelligence and their accolades, but I'm trying to be more intentional about like, you know, recognizing people when they're kind because I mean, it's so, so important to have people around you who bring that kind of positive energy. Word. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, Miranda and I were texting about this earlier. Um, and there are a lot of kind people in museology, in culture work, in the arts. And there are also a lot of very unkind people, disrespectful mm -hmm. people. And uh, I think, I mean, I entered this field a lot older than the both of you did when you entered. And, you know, I think, but all of us come into this space like bright eyed and bushy tailed and like, oh my God, hey guys, I'm the biggest fan. Like, what's going on? And people are assholes. And then it's a huge bummer. And you're just like, man, maybe I did something wrong. Like, what did I do wrong? And then we start to self scrutinize and it can become a really toxic cycle. And so absolutely finding kind people who I think have other interests, who see you for who you are um, and, you know, just have like adventure in mind or their passions and their purposes. And sometimes those things have to align and sometimes they don't. But when you link up with a person in this field or I guess just anywhere in life um, who has an open mind and an open heart, it just makes life so much better. Uh, and that I think is the, the cool thing about what we do in this field is that we're not just stuck with the people who work in museums or just artists. Uh, we get to pull from a vast array of different sorts of people from all walks of life, like culture keepers, people who work in Tippo. We even branch out into things like food sovereignty and veterans and all kinds of different things so we're fortunate in that way that we get to touch all different parts of people's cultures primarily native american people of course um and then i don't know about you guys but for me it it strengthens the things that i came into this field with inside of me so the things that i already knew that were important and i pray about or I do, whether that's like creating art or my spirituality, the things that I believe about being a good person. It's, uh, I think that if you get on a good path and you really stay focused on the work that you're doing and what you want for the world, what you want for your family or community or children, um, those things unfold in front of you. And that is definitely not something that's like primarily career oriented, which I think can be coming back to de like decolonizing. I think the idea of a career is colonial, you know, that's because it's based on a capitalist system. Whenever I think of like being colonized or colonialism, the first words that come to my mind are extraction, um, violation, hegemony, um, just, taking space and self from human beings and then implementing ideologies that don't necessarily belong to us. Those ideologies can be about beauty, prayer, dancing, singing, everything, you name it. And so we're like on this treadmill where we're trying to meet these standards of this sort of 
faceless monster, which is colonialism. And so um, you asked me a question earlier while we were off the air, just about like, well, these are some of the things that we want to talk about. Like, what does decolon- what does decolonize mean? Well, we don't really know until we start to understand how we fit into a colonial paradigm into Western society. And so I can only speak for myself. And then once we do that work, we can expand outwards. And, you know, I think speaking for myself, I think my own ideas of beauty and how I would like to be treated and how to treat other people. uh, One of the biggest things is the ideas of extraction. So if I ask somebody for help, if I say, hey, artist, do you think you could do this project with me and I'd need you to do A, B, and C um, and I'll give you money or the institute I'm wor- the institution I'm working for will give you money. That still feels very colonial to me. I don't feel like I've done my due diligence as a native person by just sending an email, creating a contract and cutting a check. Uh, mm-hmm. To me, it means like you need to try to understand what this person is creating and why. And how does it feed humanity? How is it going to heal us? How is it going to inspire other children to create art? What kind of conversations are being created around it? And then most importantly, how can I share that in a way where I'm not packaging it up like it belongs to me, right? Mm -hmm. As a curator, that looks like um, allowing other people in to have an opinion, um, asking them to write about it, asking them to complete interviews and adding to your body of work what other people have produced, what other people think, uh, creating exhibitions that are engaging. We call it programming, but I think that it's the, the process of creating art and engaging with art and thinking about our cultures and what we come from and who we are, is, it's an all, it should be an all-inclusive process. And uh, at this moment, when we're creating exhibitions, these are very like isolated, privileged instances where you have like one or two or three artists, one curator, and these people are producing something. And, and usually it's, it's incredible and it's profound and I'm not complaining about what people are, are doing but it also excludes a lot of different ideas. It excludes a lot of different people um, and it doesn't give too much room to move or grow. And then it becomes problematic if we're producing the same sort of thing over and over and over. And I'm talking about the model, not necessarily the content. Um, So decolonizing, I think, is a very personal thing. I think we have to work through a lot of our own personal issues, our fears, our jealousies, our insecurities, and imagine that we live in a universe, that we live on a planet where our creator, the energies of the universe, will take care of you, that you're going to be okay. You're exactly where you need to be while you're there, and if you don't learn how to embrace that and enjoy it, and experience it and grow from it, then what does your experience even mean? It's just a career. Like, why are you here? You know, talking about culture, talking about people's histories, talking about people's objects, about sacred objects, about ideas, prayers, dances. These are very personal things. 
And so if you're not close to the people who create those things, if you don't have a deep understanding of them, then who are you speaking to? What are you speaking for? And why are you doing it? I think those are really important questions we have to ask ourselves in museums. We have to build trust because breaking trust is definitely a colonial component to the westernization of our minds and our bodies. Um, I think building trust is so incredibly important in creating good work, meaningful work, in growing these institutions into a space where it's not all a one-sided conversation. Um, to me, it's like, if I have a problem, I'm gonna find a way, even if people are violating my mind, my creativity, my culture, I'm damn well going to take that instance and I'm going to find somewhere else where there is space and where people want to make space. And so that's how I end up moving from one thing to another when I'm in, or if I'm in museums or I'm art dealing, or now I'm starting to help produce a film, um, working with sports teams. Um, there's a lot of people out there who are ready to be decolonized, who are ready to do this work and they're open-minded and they have good hearts and they know that it takes time, but they listen and they ask good questions um, and they reflect on their own place, their own space and how they share that or don't share that. Um, and then when they come back to the table, they're like, oh, I thought about this and I didn't really realize that I was doing that. And it's unfortunate because in museums, not a lot of that happens. Everyone at the table is just like, I've been doing this for a long time. I've got a PhD you know, we know the ropes and this is how things are done and creating an exhibition looks like A, B, and C. And every single time I have found or gone through some sort of an experience where um, that's not true. We've created exhibitions in a matter of two months, three months. We created a 6,000 square foot exhibition with like VMA winners and like Vogue, designers and like historic material and medicine bundles like things that have never been done in those spaces all in one space in less than one year nine months it took us nine months we gave birth to an exhibition child and with everybody doing the work all hands on deck um it was not easy absolutely not but it got done so when people start to say things like for us to select 20 paintings and put them in this 1000 square foot space, it's going to take at least three years. Um, I think that that's definitely a colonial aspect to working in museums is we hire young, brilliant native people. And I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about you guys. <laughs> we hire young, brilliant native people because we want change. And then filtering them, silencing them, uh, suffocating their creativity, telling them that they don't know any better yet, keeping them in the back, in the back rooms, um, just tapping away, sending those emails. I think that that's an absolute disservice to this idea that we want to decolonize these spaces. Because I'm sorry, God bless the incredible mentors that I've had you know, all good things to them, health and abundance and long life and joy. But people who are in their 50s, 60s and 70s, 
they aren't going to decolonize. They, how can they? Why would they? You know, they're they're just about ready to finish up the work that they've done. But it's like, God damn, we'll make some space for some young people. They didn't make space for me, and I'm older than you guys. Don't let these people tell you that you can't. Mm-hmm. Because eventually you will become the director of an institution if that's what you want. And by God, if I'm still alive and either of you or any of these people listening to this podcast become directors of institutions, please do not be an asshole. Make space for young people, young ideas, new creative ways of thinking and creating exhibitions, of collecting, repatriating, all of it. Everyone is just holding on to the vestiges of of colonialism. Yeah. Sorry if you're offended, but it's true. And that may not be true for every single Mm -hmm. field, but in museum work, it's, it's, it's true. Yeah. I was just having a conversation with someone today from a, I won't name the institution, but they're a small place and they're a nonprofit and they don't, they hire an all native staff. And I was telling them how, um, you know, there's no permanent native staff at the field museum. And they're like, well, if we can do it, the field museum can do it. And they're not, they're a little quarter of an it, like compared to how big the field museum is. And so, and just even having like a section dedicated for native people, they're like, we, not the whole staff, obviously at the field museum, but it's possible. Mm -hmm. Nothing is impossible. Um, so it was interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, what would you do, Felicia, if you could curate an exhibition that looked decolonized? What would that look like? Mm-hmm. And we're not even talking about like money or space, but you right. had some incredible ideas earlier that I was like, God, I would pay to see that. I think for me, it's like one of the most meaningful things for me in my daily life is getting to work with people who work beyond my institution, like connecting with community members, because I feel like they just have some of the most brilliant, insightful things to say, like because they exist beyond the institution and beyond academia, you know, and so I've I've been working on a community curated exhibition and uh, we're working with, you know, over 60 Pueblo community members, which is just incredible. And I think I have a lot of freedom at my institution because we're not a museum, you know, we yeah. have a lot of the characteristics of a museum, but there's some more flexibility because we're not. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, for me, I've realized, I think before when I was just entering the field, I really wanted to be a curator and be, you know, like a superstar curator who had my name on an exhibition catalog and was like known for making, for curating that one show. But now I'm just like, I love to listen, you know, I love to invite people in and make my institution and the resources we have accessible to them and listen to the ideas that they have to share and like figure out how we can collaborate to create something totally different, you know, because I feel like so many of us going through the same programs and having internships in these same institutions, it's like, it's really hard to break the mold. And what is going to change things is bringing people in who have been denied access, people who might not have a Western education or have zero experience in museums. You know, I think they have some of the most amazing ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and just, you know, and I think from that, 
that's how I see my role as a curator moving forward is like a facilitator between community as well as between the institution. And when you say like make things more accessible, it's not only from the behalf of the institution, but like none of us and none of us here do, but we can't be gatekeepers for other communities. Like if for whatever reason, you know, like we, I think that's another issue that we've, I've been coming across is just because if they don't like me or something at another institution, they're going to make it harder to access a collection or resources and, or speak ill about me. And it's like, why are we doing that? To each other, but yeah. also why is the institution allowing that to continue to happen? Um, and for me, I think the and I say this all the time is because it's true. Like the most profound experience you could ever give to someone is to take them to a community, not to be an anthropologist, but to understand how people are living. And that's why when we took people to Crow Fair, like it was um, in 2019, yeah, <laughs> we. That was profound for me in a different way, but for my non-Native collaborators to be able to piece together, like, I I had no idea that this was how people were living. I didn't know this is what they, how they did this or that. And to see it up front and to actually learn from the people who were doing this, like, that's what institutions need to do. Like, there should be outings scheduled after COVID, <laughs> you know, where... <laughs> you go and you spend time with community because we all have our own festivals. We all have our own, our own gatherings and native people specifically, even if you're like, oh, I don't like that group of people, humble yourself enough to be like, you know what? I'm going to learn. I need to go learn something, you know, like there's something here to be learned, not yeah. to scoff at it. So that's my hope for moving forward as even curators is to get out of the box of just going to like, Indian market, go to, go to a place like Crow Fair, go to our festivals, talk to us there. Don't just do the status quo anymore. Yeah. Don't, don't extract information and then go put it on like a label, you know, right. Just do your due diligence, man. Like pay your respects, let it in. I think sometimes it's just like, let, let that experience and that, and that culture into your heart. You said something really interesting about, I mean, we talk about this all the time. I think it's not just us. It's all across the board, but native, being a native person in a museum is so incredibly deeply important to everything, what all of us do, the future for our kids, you know, having native people in as many spaces as we can possibly put them in, be in, live in, work in, um, I think that's integral to the survival of our people. But most importantly, I think that native people have something profound and important to offer to Americans, to Westerners, in exactly what you just said. You know, you don't go into a community just to get what you need and then leave that's colonialism, that's resource extraction. And when native people become a resource, that's when, you know, we're participating in these colonial paradigms, I think that continuously violate us because this is what was happening before. And maybe before it was medicine bundles, 
it was clothing, it was war material, whatever those things were that they were taking out of those communities, um, that by and large has stopped. Uh, you don't see that happening too much because in the mind of an anthropologist, in the mind of a collector, in the mind of a person who, who would do something like that, ethnographers, whoever you are, uh, it's, well, this is a finite resource and we need to make sure that we get it and we make it safe and we put it in a place where we have all of these other finite resources. And at some point, I mean, I, I, it seems at no point, and there are very few, there are a few ethnographers and anthropologists and quote explorers who took the time to sit with the native people and say, well, why did you make this? What does it mean? Where did it come from? Let me learn about that. Though that group of people is incredibly narrow. Now we're being the things that are happening to native people where you put yourself through hell when you go through academia. You know, like getting a master's degree, writing a thesis, getting your PhD, being abused, or I guess uh, undergoing the rigors of uh, the intellectual community, I guess to, to kind of phrase it the way that they would, um, that's extractive because they steal ideas from you. They take your creativity they take who you are culturally, and then they realign you with colonial purposes and practices. And then you think, okay, well, I put myself through that. And now I'll have a voice when I enter this institution. And then it happens even furthermore, right? So then you end up in an institution and they're like, okay, well, we filled our Native American quota. We've got our four natives here or three natives or 10 natives, whatever that looks like. And then you're not given a voice. And if you try to speak up, you're admonished for it in multiple different ways, because it's just like they can't imagine that a native person, the actual people who created these objects and all of the concepts and the belief systems and the knowledge systems and the worldviews surrounding the creation of these objects still contain that knowledge. And we work this hard to get to this point to share some of that with what's left of it because people constantly are working to put that light out. And then when you get to that space, you're told, no, you don't fit into these systems that we've already created. That's against policy. That does not look like exhibition making. We're, we are not, we're not going to do that. That doesn't make any sense to us. But that's the whole point. We're all colonized. So when somebody does something that doesn't make sense to everyone, I would think in a decolonized space, everyone would say like, wait a minute, what? Tell me, right. what does that mean? Help me understand, right. show us, because we should be looking at things that don't make sense to us right now because we are all colonized. Our minds are colonized mm -hmm. and we keep re-perpetuating these things that quote unquote make sense to everyone whether that's through policies, whether that's through practice, methodologies, even the mediums that we use, all of that. And I think that's what one of the things that artists, native art, I guess all artists, but I'll just talk about native artists is native artists have a space to explore that. And, you know, we give them space to do that, but we never allow that conversation to go beyond the doors of a gallery and that's a problem. You know, why aren't these conversations, this work, these things that these artists are creating 
breaking through doors and just flooding our school systems, the way we see our bodies, our sexuality, all of these different things. And I mean, our work is important because we continue to uphold Native artists, but our conversations have stayed the same as museologists, as people who work in arts and culture. We're a huge group of people that are participating in an incredibly archaic system. And then everybody in that system is saying, this is the only way that we can do it. This is how it's done. Then you just become part of this like toxic cycle of colonialism. So if you're going to decolonize a museum, you're going to have to turn it inside out. You have to look at registration practices, collections practices, what exhibition making looks like, who are we curating for? Should we even have one curator rock star shows anymore, which I don't think we should. I think that that's incredibly unhealthy to have even one person, even if they're native, to be speaking for multiple artists, one artist about an entire concept and then presenting it to an entire city or an entire state and saying, this is what this means. And this is why I think that's dangerous. I think it's dangerous to have one pe one person presenting any kind of a concept to people unless it's reframed and curators. I think the power that curators have needs to shift a little bit because right now at this point, we are educators. We're the ones who present art to the world. We decide what has value and why yeah. and who is the driving force behind that as you know, Native people, we share parts of our culture, you know, beadwork, weaving, all of it, pottery. We learn things from one another. We marry into each other's communities. We share. And sharing our creativity is part of that generosity. But, you know, there's a space where you need to be respectful and you need to give back. Otherwise, you're just cranking out beautiful things for the money and you're not putting any in, any thought into the traditions and the systems that exist in that culture that make some of those things sacred. So sorry for digressing into that, but like, I think that's extraction. It's a violation of people's cultures and worldviews. And I lived in Hopi. I live with the Yavapai people and they have very distinctive things that they make. I can make a Yavapai basket. Do you think for a second, I'm going to make one and try to sell it at any market? Hell no. If I make one, I'm going to give it to a brand new baby or somebody who just got married. And I would never teach people to make them unless they gave me permission. That's respect. That's decolonization. It's thinking about why we make these things, why we do what we do, what is our passion and our purpose, and being really thoughtful about all of the human life that's involved in these processes. Because how many Native people are there in museums? How many Native people are doing this work? It's so incredibly, it's, I'm sorry, that's my puppy. <laughs> Be quiet. Um, yeah, like that's this kind of deep thinking, critical thinking. That's what I got from the university system. I always had them telling me, be a critical thinker. Think outside of the box. What would you do as a crow person? But does that apply to everybody? No, that does not apply to everybody. Do I think everybody should do what I do? No, absolutely not. You have a way that you do things. Miranda has a way that she does things. And as you involve yourself in these communities and you start to look at art and artists and culture keepers 
and everyone we get involved with as human beings who have something to offer this work, I think we start to step away from this sort of idea that, you know, museums are colonial spaces. And the only way a museum is going to become decolonized is when we aren't working off of capitalistic systems that are that violate people's minds and bodies and work and steal from one another, where it's not resource extraction anymore. Because museums are very much still extractive spaces. You know, working in a museum, working in the arts with Native people, anytime you work with Native people, it's a commitment. It's a life commitment. It is not a career. If you want a career, find something else to do. Don't think that you can enter any space with Native people in their culture and imagine that you can clock in and out and pick up a check and not have to deal with them. Because now that's your life. You better damn well be ready to go into their communities and to experience some of their joys and their beauty, but also their suffering. You're going to go to some funerals. You're going to be buying some blankets for people. You better show up. Mm-hmm. And that's the work that all of these museologists, the kids that are at George Washington, just being cranked out to become registrars and collections managers and curators and education people and even docents. That's something that they really need to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's it really isn't a career. And the best people that I know that are non-native and native who are doing incredibly profound, important work, um, it's a lifestyle. They spend all their time in communities. They're there. They're signed up, you know? Kind of just to go back to something me and Nina have experienced a lot is like anyone, including Natives, can say decolonize. You need to decolonize. You need to. I enter the room and it's decolonized. It's like, no. But And anyone could say land back and... But unless you're willing to actually like understand, what does that mean? What does that look like? Who are yeah. you to say that about mm-hmm. this land? About and we can speak in general, of course, and but you should only from your experiences. But I'm getting to the point where I'm tired of natives, particularly, calling each other out because they're not being decolonial enough. It gets, and in a museum context, and we talked about this yesterday, like when we bicker like that and we have those stances and we don't want to budge, then it reverberates out to like leadership doesn't want to deal with us. Then all of Mm -hmm. those things. And it's just, and I'm also really at the point too, where I don't think we're at the, we're never going to be at the point where we can just like completely remove non-Indigenous people. We need to help people learn. Yeah, (laughs) They don't know. They don't know how do we help each other. Like I'm just tired of the of the all be all end alls and give it back. Okay, well I'm not ready to go live in my wiki up. So yeah. I mean, if you really wanted to get methodical about it, I think as a native person, if I was in charge, I would go to the native people and I would say, all right, you guys are going to start like an association. You're going to start a group, and you get together once a week. And that's where you complain. That's where you work out your issues with each other. You do not put it on social media. And this is a private thing where there aren't any other people that are part of that space or taking notes. It's not recorded. And you're just working stuff out because whatever initiatives you have, whatever it is that you want for that space, 
we're saying we're pretending that this is a museum um no one is gonna listen to any of you individually if all you do is bicker you know it mm -hmm. completely just you lose any kind of credibility because if we're saying like decolonize and non-natives are disrespectful and all of these different things that we say that are true in many circumstances but if we're exhibiting those same abusive, toxic behaviors towards each other, why should anybody listen to us? You know, it's that simple. Yeah. And if we can't become unified in our own ideas, in our own wants, demands, desires, whatever those things are, like, then nobody should have to listen to us. Like, we're just hot messes. Like fighting over tiny projects and just little grants and tiny pieces of space like that's not that's not going to suffice and we're not going to get very far doing that if we're going to take over the world and help people do better when they get all of their land back and then they're like oh well, what do we do with it we want to be sure that we have native people who are thinking about all human beings and what's good for humanity well i think that's what we want in this on this platform is like we need the honesty even with each other and with others because i know we're all sick of at least us three i know we're sick of like the like we were saying the throwing out of things like okay well let's use this platform like let's talk about some solutions that could work like let's yeah. talk about that like and throw ideas around and help i'll like let me help you make an exhibit like yep and let me oh you know what i'll give you nina's phone number if you want to talk to her like yeah man come know? to my camp at crow fair let's go you guys know where i live <laughs> i'm all inviting people to crow fair yeah. I don't even come through we about to hang out and give each other hugs and cry it out and be like man it's hard it's hard being a native woman a single native mama any kind of a native woman trying to enter any of these fields right it's just it ain't easy and i'm not even trying to be a victim like we we get tough and we do what we got to do, but I am not going to be a native woman who hates on other native women. She already has it hard. It's mm -hmm. already difficult. Yeah. So why would I make myself part of her suffering? Right. That's disrespectful. And I have, when I go to other side camp, like there's things that I'm going to have to answer to if I act that way. And so will they, the way that you treat people and the work that you do is you know the beautiful things that you give will absolutely be brought back to you and so will the things that are not beautiful that's to me that's decolonizing okay i have to get going oh, but wait who made your earrings we're, we're wait, also can i ask one more question also just like a quick question and then we'll do yeah. our earring corner <laughs> okay um, I just want to know, like, do you have like one piece of advice that you would give to any Native people who are thinking about entering the field or who have just entered the field, you know, and are like maybe struggling? Um, develop interests and passions outside of museum work. Um, things that will sustain you, that will sustain your heart because it's, it's not easy. Um, things that help you to be creative and to generate ideas and thoughts that eventually when you're given space or when you demand space or space is made for you, you can take all of these things that have taught you to grow, that you've taught yourself, 
um, all of that creativity, you can take that and move into that space and then bless other people with it. So you keep the faith, try to build all of your interests. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Try different things. Um, the idea of being like a lifetime career curator is it can be really unhealthy. I think for a lot of people, like how many people enter this in academia or any of these spaces thinking like, I'm going to be a curator. And then you get there and it's like, oh my God, I'm probably not going to be a curator because it seems impossible. And then on top of that, there isn't anybody to support me. There isn't anybody who's ever going to say like, you really seem like you would put some incredible exhibitions up. Nobody is going to say that to you. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to have some sort of privilege or way in to be able to do that work. And that's not to say that it can't be done, which is one of the other pieces of advice that I give is if you want to be a curator, like if you have a space and you know some artists, you can create an exhibition and you can put it on your CV and you can ask people around you, how do you create labels? What should I write about? What are what does a concept for an exhibition look like? Um, and then you practice. You get a really good idea of how people respond to the things that you create, the kind of art that people respond to, what creates good conversations. So, you know, being creative. I think um, any person who enters museum work should have a well-rounded view and understanding of both contemporary art and historic work. Working with historic material is important. You should be able to go into a collection and they start pulling drawers and you know when to say stop. We shouldn't be looking at that. That's not for us. But you should also know when you see something like, oh my God, that's like an incredible manta. And I know just the Hamas person or Hopi person or Akama person that needs to see that because they make mantas right? And then contact them and bring them into that space. So understanding historic collections is important, I think, because you can't, you really, it's difficult to separate the two as a native art curator. It's really difficult to exist in a space where you're only dealing with contemporary or modern native art, and you don't ever have to deal with any of the historic material or historic narratives that create that, that it stems from. So you know, you have, I think you have to have a well-rounded idea. And so there's really good books that you can read, but more importantly, I would always suggest like talking to people. So yeah, enjoy your life beyond museum work. Understand that those experiences are relevant to what you bring when you're given space. Be kind to people and understand people are not always gonna be kind to you. Try to be patient. And always imagine and think of ways that, how would I do it if I was in charge? How would I change the game? Yeah, not, how could I be part of the status quo? No, we don't do that. That's not what we do. So, my earrings are uh, John Paul Rangel, and they're, ser they're silver morning stars. I love them. They're gorgeous. So yeah. pretty. They've They're been like, like blinding me this whole time in the best way. <laughs> yeah, favorite. We're making wishes today. So. Nina gifted me with these ones, but I don't remember who made them, Nina. If you remember. Sharina Baker made those. Sharina Baker. And she's yeah. at she's at UNM getting her PhD for like 
education i'm not really sure mm-hmm. which is amazing yeah how about you felicia where'd you where'd you get your earrings i'm wearing i'll take mine off to give our video washers a better look they're like the cutest little sage colored horsehair earrings oh nice they're made by her name is uh taylor gutierrez i wrote it down because a lot of times i only know people's instagram handles um so her instagram handle is kamama beadwork and she's cherokee and was recently in the new york times which i just think is so awesome that like native artists are getting this national acclaim that they deserve and so yeah definitely check her out um they're so cute. I love these earrings. They are. Those are super cute. <laughs> I know. Are. I like like simple stuff for sure. Doesn't always have to go full blown Indian market on your face. Even though it's a, it's a look. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes but, uh, my ears need a break. <laughs> exactly. Um, thank you so thank much. Thank you. Bye. Yeah.